0: In light of what happened in Charleston Wednesday night, I thought about completely changing uh, the text that we were talking about this morning, but for, but for a lot of reasons, I didn't know if I was quite ready uh, to do that. But, but I think what we're going to talk about this morning uh, does relate, uh, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll see that as we go. But we're looking at in the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 14. This is God's Word. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pray for us. Father, we do thank you for the scriptures and um, that we get this time to sit and to, and to think about them. Uh, God, I pray that you would impress them, not just on our minds, but on our hearts. Uh, and if there are things that need to change in our lives, that, that you would change those. Father, I pray that we would see uh, our great need for a Savior and that you have uh, supplied a great Savior in Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well most of us at some point in our life you've had to put a resume together right some of you've been through this process very recently you put together a list of your notable accomplishments your past job experiences at least the ones you want people to know about Uh, if you're applying for college you may make a list of your grades the clubs you have been involved in your test scores those sorts of things And then you add a few references of that list, who will testify to what a wonderful employee you will make. And you present it to the people that you want to work for, right? You say, here are my credentials. Here are my accomplishments. Here's what I've done. Accept me because of who I am. Accept me because of what is on this piece of paper. Accept me because of my resume. Uh, We do that, obviously, when we try to get a job, but we do that in our relationships with other people as well we want other people to like us we want other people to accept us and so we come up with a variety of ways of creating resumes so that the people around us will accept us some of us rely on our appearance to try to get other people to accept us and we have a lot tied up in the way that we look for others it might be our athletic achievements or our sense of humor Uh, It it may be your wealth or your possessions, so you accumulate things. It may be your social status or the clubs that you are involved in. It might be the things that you're mad about. Some of us define ourselves by what we're opposed to and the confidence that we're right. We do it with race. Uh, We do it with heritage. We do it with many things. We do it with our achievements. Mom and Dad, look at what I've done, won't you? Accept me now. We do it so others will accept us. We do it so We can feel okay about ourselves uh, After she retired you Some of you remember former uh, women's tennis champion Chris Everett. This is what she said I had no idea who I was or what I'd be away from tennis I was completely lost Winning made me feel like I was somebody it made me feel pretty I needed the wins the applause, in order to have an identity. Uh, Scott Sauls writes, There is a built-in default mechanism in the human heart that triggers us to measure our own beauty based on how we measure up in comparison with others. Uh, sin has left us, in the words of Genesis, naked and ashamed. And so we look for things to cover ourselves. We look for things to, pro- to provide ourselves with an identity, provide a righteousness for ourselves, to provide us with a resume. Uh, we're constantly creating resumes for ourselves to make-, to make us feel better about ourselves and for other people so that they will accept us as well. We do it with ourselves, we do it with other people, and we also do this with God. Uh, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, we're assembling this resume in the hopes that God will accept us. Um, God's existence is a truth that that presses down on everybody, whether they acknowledge him or not. Some of us suppress this truth, but we can never quite get away from it. It's kind of like a splinter in our mind. We we are aware of the existence of God. Uh, we, We acknowledge this because we know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. That certain things are just and certain things are unjust. That certain things are fair and certain things are not fair. And we know when we're honest that we haven't always done the right thing or the just thing or the fair thing. And so with that knowledge of God, even if it's just in the back of our minds, we come up with ways to assure that God will accept us, that he'll accept our resume. One of the things we try to do is we try to tailor fit God to fit our conception of him. We try to define what God is like in ways that suits our desires. Uh, the way it works is something like this is have people say, well, well, I believe God is love. I don't like the idea of a God of wrath. The God I believe in would not do that. Or God may be perfect, but I'm not, and I'm sure he doesn't really expect perfection of me. Uh, but, but here's the problem with that way of thinking. You and I don't just get to decide what God is like. All right, Let's say I don't like hot weather. All right? and You're in bad shape if you don't like hot weather right now. But let's say I, I don't like hot weather. And so because I don't like hot weather, I'm going to choose to think that it's 50 degrees outside instead of 100. I'm just going to think about the temperature in that way. Like, that doesn't change anything. That doesn't change what the temperature is. I can't just decide that it's 50 outside and or 30 and snowing because I'd prefer for it to be like that. It's hot out there no matter how I think about it. Um, we, we can't do that with a temperature. We can't do that if, if your favorite team, if the outfielder drops a fly ball and, and costs your team the game, you can't say, well, I just prefer to think that he caught it. I'm just going to think about it like that, and we won the game. What? It, No, you lost the game. It it, it is what it is, no matter how you think about it. But we somehow think we can do that with God. That I can just decide, well, here's what I think God is like, and so therefore he is like that. No, God is who God is, and he reveals himself to us in the pages of Scripture. And once He has revealed himself to us, we can't just say, well, I don't don't really like that part, so I'm just going to ignore that part. Uh, we, We don't get the privilege of creating God. Another thing we try to do to try to make ourselves feel better about our spiritual resumes is we're always comparing, right? We're always comparing my resume with the, with the next person's resume. And we define our morality and our spirituality in terms of other people. Well, at least I'm not that bad. At least I didn't do that. And so we feel better at ourselves. <laughs> we, we try to feel better about ourselves by looking down on the ones around us. Now, this parable. uh, Two guys, and we're going to look at how they understood God and how they understood themselves, and we're going to see that the the, the way they understand themselves and the way they understand God affects the type of resume they try to offer God. And we're going to see God's reaction to them and to their resumes. Does he accept them or does he... Reject them. So let's talk about this. Here's a setting. We're told here that two men went up to the tipple to pray. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now it seems likely that they had gone at one of the two set times for worship in the Old Testament. Uh, two times a day a, a sacrifice of atonement was made and the congregation was normally present uh, during those times. Uh, Ken Bailey comments that the time of incense was especially appropriate as a time of personal prayer Because by this time in the service, the sacrifice of the lamb had covered the sins of Israel, and thus the way to God was open. So so two guys are going to pray, probably at either the morning or the evening service, time of worship, time of sacrifice, possibly at some other time of day. But certainly they were going to the place where those sacrifices were being offered. So imagine we did that at Grace, so we met here Sunday morning and Sunday night, and we brought in lambs and sacrificed them, and we gathered to pray, and I know it would be a lot of work, right? <laughs> I've got to bring three kids and a couple lambs. Um, but, but imagine that we did that week after week, um, and, and, and we prayed as we did that. What words would come to your mind as we prayed? What, what, what words would come to your mind as, as you prayed to God? That's that's what these guys are doing. Let's look at what they said. Uh, verse, Verse 11, the Pharisee. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee standing by himself Prayed in in those days, there were people who were known as associates. These were the people who kept the law very strictly. Uh, There are also people who were known as the people of the land. So you had the associates, and you had the people of the land. The people of the land were more ignorant about the law. They didn't observe the cleanliness rituals. They weren't careful about tithing. And if an associate, in this case the Pharisee, if he bumped into one of these people of the land, then he would become unclean. And so the Pharisee is probably kind of like doing this number because he's seen as a tax collector, and he doesn't want to be contaminated by his uncleanliness, and so he's standing off by himself. So imagine you're going for prayer. You see a guy in a a three-piece suit. He's a respected man in the community. He's, he's, He's well off. He fasts twice a week. He's going for prayer, but he stands over here so that he doesn't bump in to those people, to those people. I want to be as far away from those people as I can. He's standing off to the side and he's standing up to pray. Now notice his prayer is very interesting, isn't it? Uh, It's really more about himself. He doesn't offer any kind of thanksgiving to God. He doesn't even really ask God for anything. He, he really gives one of those prayers that, that, that like, I, I know I can do sometimes as a preacher, but they're, they're, like, they're a sermon within the prayer, right? Uh, he's not really pouring out to his heart to God. He's, he's preaching to the people next to him. And the first thing he does in his prayer is that he compares his resume to the resume of the tax collector. And he says, you know what? My resume is better. I'm so glad that my resume is better. I'm not like him. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not like this tax collector. You want a good example of what I'm not like? I'm not like him. I'm pure. I don't live in those kind of places. I don't associate with that type of people. I'm not like them. And so the first thing the Pharisee does is he shows us what's not on his resume. He doesn't have a bad record. He shows us what's not on his resume. The second thing he does is that he shows us what's on his resume, doesn't he? I fast twice a week and give a tithe of all I get. And what he's doing here is he's saying, I go above and beyond what the law actually requires. The law requires me to fast once a year. I do it twice a week. I even tithe money. When when my grandmama sends me $50 for my birthday, I tithe off of that, like everything. When I save money at BILO, I I tithe off of that. I I, I go above and beyond What the law requires. Now, it's pretty obvious this guy kind of liked himself. But he didn't understand two things. He didn't really understand himself, and he didn't really understand God. But we'll we'll get back to him. What about the tax collector? What does he pray? Look in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, This is a picture of a broken man, a a, a humble man, a man who doesn't even feel worthy to stand in the presence of God or his people. He he understands his sin. He's ashamed to even look up in the direction of heaven. He's too ashamed to, to lift up his hands in prayer. He's a tax collector. He's a Jewish person who's employed by the Roman occupiers. He more than likely charged his own people more than the market or whatever the market would bear. And so his own people hated him. He probably extorted them in many ways. He was a robber. He was a traitor. There is no way he could pay back everything he owed. There is no way he could even find everybody that he owed money to to try to make things right. He has no resume to offer anybody. He has no resume to offer to God. And so he simply stands and beats his chest, which is this sign of anguish and sorrow, and says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Uh, literally, the Greek is the sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. This is somebody that's spent their life in sin, in life, doing their own thing, their whole life living for pleasure, and then God begins to convict them, and they see who they really are before God, and they say, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. This is someone who comes to God empty-handed. He doesn't he do doesn't a comparison game. He doesn't say, look, well, at least I'm better than this other guy over here. He doesn't try to get his references to say something good about him because he knows there's nothing good that can be said about him. And so he simply says, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Now, what did these guys understand and not understand? There's something about God and about ourselves that we have to understand. The Pharisee didn't get it, but the tax collector did. The Pharisee doesn't understand the full extent of the demands of God's law. Um, God says about his law, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Whoever Keeps the whole law but stumbles at just one place is guilty of breaking the whole thing. And, I, and I've used this example before, but we think breaking the law, we think of it more like breaking out an individual pane in one of those windows. And we're like, well, at least I just broke only one pane out of the law. And it's really more like the whole thing is just one big sheet of glass. And if you break it anywhere, you've broken the whole thing. If you break it at any point, you've broken all of it. God also says that, remember, my law is not just about your actions, it's also about your heart. It's about your heart. And Jesus makes this point in the Sermon on the Mount when he, when he essentially says, Look, I'm happy you haven't physically committed adultery, but what about the lust in your eyes and in your heart? I'm glad you haven't literally killed anybody. Good for you. But what about the murder and the hate? that you carry around in your heart? What about the fact that you love money more than you love God? What about the fact that you despise people of other races? Here's what racism is about, and here's what I think is relevant to this text. Racism, first of all, is a failure to recognize that another person is also made in the image and likeness of God. But secondly, racism is really a twisted way of trying to build your own resume. A racist is somebody who builds their identity on their race. It's their righteousness. They cling to their whiteness or their blackness or their Hispanicness or whatever. It's the thing that they cling to and say, this is what makes me okay. It's a way to cover their insecurity. It's a way to cover their own sin. It's a a way to feel better about themselves. And in the the language of verse 9, if I could paraphrase it this way, They trust in their skin color for their righteousness and treat people of other races with contempt. It's a way of feeling better about yourself in comparison with other people. And maybe it's not race for you. Maybe it's something else. What is it for you that you cling to and then you look down on others with contempt? Well, uh, the Pharisee, like, like many of us, he didn't fully understand what God demanded of him. Um, I like to say, he's, he's kind of like somebody who's supposed to climb Mount Everest and he makes it to the first base camp. He's like, yes, I made it. I've conquered Mount Everest. i like, dude, you're only 6,000 feet up. He's like, no, I've, I've, I've done it. I've made it. I'm here. He didn't really understand what he was supposed to be doing. He didn't understand the full demands of God's law. He didn't understand that it was about his heart and not just about his actions. He didn't see the many ways he broke God's law every day. And because he didn't see these things, he thought he had something to offer God. He said, God, here's my resume. Here's what I've done. And he thinks he's handing God this immaculate piece of paper with all his stunning achievements. he's really handing something that looks like a dog threw up on it. He's handing God nothing at all. The crazy thing about this, and what I think is interesting here, is that this happens in the middle of a place where a lamb was being sacrificed, and the intention of that lamb being sacrificed was to show him that he was a sinner. And you got to wonder, what did he think the lambs were all about? What did he think the lambs were all about? How did he miss the obvious? How many of us, how many people in the South go to church week after week after week and miss the obvious? And miss the obvious. How many of us are confident in the resume that we're building? Look, I go to church. I led a Bible study that one time. I'm not like those people. The Pharisee doesn't get it. But the tax collector does. The tax collector does. He knew that he could not make it to, to the base camp, much less all the way to the top of Mount Everest. And so he, he, he sees the, re- the requirements of God's law, and he just says, I'm out. I, there's, it's not happening. I can't do it. I'm not going to play this game. And so he says, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Uh This phrase, God have mercy, is is an interesting phrase. Uh, The Greek word word translated have mercy is the verb form of a noun, which actually refers to an atoning sacrifice. And so it's kind of like he's saying, God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. Those lambs. That's what those lambs were about. They were substitutes for sinful people who deserved to die. The, the people deserved to die, but here was a substitute for anybody who would latch hold of them by faith. And so the, sacra- the, so the tax collector is saying, God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. He understood the significance of those lambs being slaughtered. He knew they were being slaughtered for him. He knew they were being slaughtered for him. The tax collector is saying, God, I have nothing to offer to you. I don't have anything to offer to you. But I see that sacrifice. And I need that sacrifice. Would you have mercy on me and pour out your wrath on that sacrifice instead of pouring it out on me? Now, excuse me, here's a question. Whose resume did God accept? Did he accept the Pharisees? No. Did he accept the tax collectors? No, actually he didn't accept the tax collector's resume either. Uh, It's obvious that he didn't accept the Pharisees' resume because we're told that he wasn't justified. Uh, to, to be justified means to be declared righteous, to be declared in right standing in the courtroom. The Pharisee said here's my resume, look at how I've kept your law accept it, declare me righteous, and God says I can't accept that. You don't understand at all, you have not kept my law, you're not righteous, I can't accept your resume. But what about the tax collector? The text says that he was justified The tax collector was justified. He was declared to be in right standing with God. He was declared to be righteous. God says, I'm issuing a legal document saying that you have kept my law. How can you do that? Because he hadn't kept his law. See, the, the tax collector doesn't ask God to accept his resume. He doesn't say, here, look at what I've done, because he knows that his resume is worthless instead he's saying god i don't have anything to offer to you but i'm going to trust in these sacrifices that you provide i understand my resume is not going to cut it i know that you've got to take care of this and i'm going to trust you to do that and what's he doing in this what's he doing the tax collector, if, if, if this is his resume over here, he's looking away from that resume. He's looking away from that resume. He's like, I'm not going to offer that to God. And instead, he's looking to the resume of the lamb. He's looking to the resume of the lamb. John chapter 1. John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God. He's talking about Jesus. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world romans 3 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus the lamb whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith could those lambs really help the tax collector no they weren't really doing anything for him But they were pointing him to a lamb who could do something for him. They pointed to Jesus Christ, the lamb, the sacrifice, the one who stands in and says, I'll receive the wrath of God for you so that it will be turned away from you. Will you trust in what I've done? The Pharisee says no. And The tax collector says yes. Whose resume did God accept? Whose resume did God accept? He accepted the resume of the Lamb. He accepted the resume of the Lamb. The resume of his son, Jesus Christ. But the tax collector received that resume by faith as his own when he trusted in the work of those lambs. And God said to him, your resume is gone. You know everything that's on it that you hate so much? I'm ripping it up and I'm throwing it away and you don't have to worry about that anymore. You never have to hand that to another employer again. I'm giving you the spotless, perfect resume of my son. And you put that in your file, and you keep that, and you hand that to anybody that asks. See, here's a choice that's before us this morning. You can, for whatever reason, continue to trust in your own resume, or you can trust in the resume of Jesus Christ. You can trust in your own performance, or you can trust in the performance of Jesus Christ. You can trust in your own righteousness, or you can trust in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Racism is trusting in your own perceived racial righteousness. It's trusting in the color of your skin. It's elevating your own race, and it's lowering somebody else's race, and feeling good about how much higher you are than they are and cling to that for your righteousness. The gospel says to racists, let go of your pride. Let go of that false righteousness and cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, Anybody in this room can be like the tax collector today. And you can go home as one who has been declared to be a keeper of the law. You can go home with the record of Jesus Christ. You can go home with his resume. But you've got to quit trusting in your own goodness. And trust instead in what he's done. Uh, Some of us this morning may be like Pharisees. We may need to be humbled. We may need to see that we have absolutely nothing to offer to God. Uh, Some of us have seen that. Some of you have been humbled. Uh, Some of us have have cried out to God for mercy, uh, hopefully all of us, and we've, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. But we still struggle with guilt. We still struggle with our performance. And you need to hear these words. You have been justified. You have been justified. No charge can be brought against you. God's son has turned aside the wrath of his father so that you are now his child. And he loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you more than you can imagine. Uh, S- Scott Sauls, to quote him again, uh, said that because of this, there's no longer any need to compare or compete. There's no need to wear ourselves down by chasing career or applause or respect or being able to sit in a si- to fit in a size four. We're not called to be perfectly awesome. We're not called to be perfectly awesome. We are called to be imperfectly faithful because we have been perfectly loved, liberated, and highly esteemed by the most high. Quit building resumes. The gospel frees you to quit feeling like you have to build resumes for yourself, for other people, for God. And to trust instead in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. I think the reason that Dylan Ralph shot nine people is because he was clinging to the false righteousness of his race. If you've seen it, it's very powerful. I haven't been able to watch it yet. I've just read it. But if you've seen those family members forgiving him, the reason they were able to forgive him because they understood what the lamb was for. And they were clinging to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that freed them up to be forgiving. Let me pray for us. God, we pray, um, we confess that we find our righteousness in all sorts of places. And um, I I pray that you liberate us from that. Uh, That we wouldn't find it in our our bank account, our skin color, or how smart we are, or how humble we think we are, or how Christian we are, or whatever it is. God, that you'd free us from trying to impress people with our accomplishments, our grades. God, that you would free us to rest uh, in what Jesus has done for us because he loved us. Help us to rest in his love. And rest in his record and rest in his resume that you have given to us. Help us to believe that that's ours. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.